Amen. Enjoy that singing. Thank you so much for uh, your presence again today. Thank you for your encouragement. It's been so great to spend time with you, have conversations with you over lunch and after lunch. Uh, so, so grateful to have been with you today. I appreciate your service to the Lord and continue to pray for you as you reach this part of the, the country, this part of the state with the gospel. So we're, we're so grateful to have been a part of your, your assembly today. We're going to mainly look at one verse, the bulk of our, our lesson. It could just be from Ephesians chapter 6. If you want to turn to that verse, we'll look at it in just a moment. But our emphasis is especially for parents looking at the next generation. But we do also want to just remind ourselves that while parents are charged with the responsibility of training and equipping our children, the church has a responsibility to train and equip and prepare parents for that raising of children. So we all work together in this providing for the next generation. 2011, there was a father who was arrested in Louisiana. They had left Hattiesburg, Mississippi, and were driving to Texas. And at some point, the father, I don't know, was sleepy, so he moved over to the passenger seat, and his eight-year-old son was driving down the interstate. Four-year-old daughter was in the back seat of the truck, and so he had it dialed in at exactly 70 miles an hour, had the cruise control set, but he was quite erratic in his steering, as you can imagine. And so based on how he was driving erratically, and then this little bitty tiny fellow behind the wheel, callers or boaters began to call the police just because they were concerned. So police got him pulled over all right, and then they found this eight-year-old driving the dad asleep in the passenger seat. What a scary thing to think that an eight-year-old who's still developing, who's still young, who hasn't been trained at all, could be behind the wheel of something that could be so dangerous. So think about this dynamic of parenting and looking forward to the next generation. We do have to keep asking who is in the driver's seat. And as we especially ask questions about technology, who are we going to put in the driver's seat for making those decisions? Do we trust the technology to be in the driver's seat? As we opened in our first session this morning, we shouldn't trust that. And you connect some dots from those who are behind technology and how they view it with their children, it's pretty frightening to see how they try to cut their children off from their devices and their services. What happens when we put our young, developing, growing children in the driver's seat? What about our young, developing children's friends in the driver's seat? Is that a good recipe? Well, let's go another step further. What about our young, developing children's friends' parents? See, all of this begins to snowball when we allow someone else to make these decisions for us instead of allowing the Lord to make these decisions for us. Here's something that I really begin to, to, to notice in Scripture happening with especially the Israelites when they left the Lord and served the other gods. One of the things that the Lord hated about that was that these false gods, these peoples were sacrificing their children to these false gods. The most vulnerable among us are the ones who suffer the most when we leave the Lord. So when we allow technology to make our decisions, when we allow peers or par peers' parents to make our decisions, who suffers the most? It's not necessarily us. We allow it to happen, but it's our most vulnerable among us who begin to suffer the most. And so taking that opening thought from the very first lesson of letting the Lord, ensuring the Lord is making our decisions, has dramatic consequences now when we begin to see this through the lens of parents' and technology and our children. I was reading an article by a guy in these church kind of technology circles, and he referenced another author talking about chess and how when you make a move, 
The author says, and you lift your fingers from the piece, and you immediately know it's a wrong move, that's bad enough. But then there is following a panic, a dread that happens, because you know you made a wrong move, but you don't yet know the consequences for that wrong move. Limitless things can happen now that you've left yourself exposed by a bad move in chess. And so now, are we beginning to see some of the fruit of that? Where we've made a move, we've released our fingers from the peace, and now we're sitting back wondering what all's going to happen because we allowed too many other people to be in the driver's seat instead of us taking responsibility and us allowing the Lord to make our decisions for us. Will we look back on this era as a time when we allowed digital technology and online sources to make the call, or will we take a moment? Will we stand up with courage and say this is the era where we decided to let the Lord's will guide us in changing the tide for some of these things? As we talk about parenting, especially in technology, I think it needs to always be clear that this is more of a discussion about parenting than it is about technology. Here's what we mean by that. Parents who are ill-equipped as godly parents will fail in this digital era, no matter how much they know about technology. You can be a programmer, you can know all the devices in and out, but if we don't understand exactly what godly parenting looks like, we'll still fail. There's comfort in the other direction, though. And that is that when we are well-equipped as godly parents, we can be successful in this era, this digital era, no matter how little we know about technology. The Lord doesn't expect for us to become full-fledged technology experts, he wants us to be experts at his word and at training our children in knowing and obeying that word. So think about Ephesians 6, specifically verse number 4. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger. We don't have this necessarily on the slide or anything, but just that first clause. This is a great reminder for us that anything we try to do like through our kids as an extension to them that we're not doing ourselves, that's a recipe for provoking them to anger. This starts with us and our own habits. If we don't abide by the things that we're expecting them to abide by, then we can expect to have disastrous results. Now, moving more specifically into these three main concepts, notice that he says, don't provoke them to anger, but bring them up. Bring them up in the discipline of the Lord. Bring them up in the instruction of the Lord. So this simple formula that Paul reminds us of when it comes to parenting, what it looked like through this lens of technology. First, notice this concept of bringing them up. We must always remind ourselves that raising children is not really about raising children, it's about training adults. Can we look forward to seeing them as young men and young women? Thus, we're not trying to control them as teenagers to use technology a certain way. We're trying to prepare them and train them as adults who not only will use it responsibly and avoid the dangers, but especially as we've talked about this morning, to use these things for God's glory. In order to do that, that process of bringing them up and pointing them toward adulthood, means that we keep managing the environment that they're living within in such a way that they begin to choose to change their own behavior. That by the time they're 18, they're 20, they're 25, whenever it is they establish their own adulthood, they have begun to choose for themselves to live for the Lord and to use any tool for his glory. So especially we think about the concept of self-control and how this connects to technology. We're training them toward a life of self-control. Not just trying to force parental control upon them, trying to lead them to follow the Savior so that they will choose to exercise self-control. Self-control, obviously, one of the aspects of the fruit of the Spirit, 
final one listed there in Galatians 5 and verse 23. It's a part of that growth process that you see in 2 Peter chapter 1, what we commonly call the Christian graces. We keep adding to, it's, an, it's necessary to exercise self-control. And to live in a world where the internet's at ready access, is going to demand that we grow and train our children to grow in technology or in self-control. All right, second idea, discipline of the Lord. All right, bring them up. View them as adults who will have technology. But to do that, we do that with discipline. And discipline's not always negative. It's a positive and negative set of, of decisions working together. And so we exercise, we establish, maintain, enforce, and reinforce boundaries. It's the, con- it's the process of working toward and trusting them with more and more responsibility over time. We see the vision that the Lord has cast for us for them to be adults who are faithful, and we use discipline both positively and negatively when necessary to help them be more trustworthy. It will seem painful in the moment. That's the one thing we must be okay with. Some of these decisions that we make will not be popular with our children. They'll certainly not be popular with those children's friends and families. We have to decide that holiness peace that comes from God is more valuable than being accepted. It's Hebrews chapter 12 that talks about discipline. Remember, God disciplines us for his good, for our own good, that we may share in his holiness. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. You see that bringing them up language there in the context of discipline training us to get there. So for a starting point, we need to see this as an ongoing conversation, an ongoing entrusting of responsibility in the realm of technology so that they begin to choose for themselves self-control and godliness. But then there is this aspect of instruction in the Lord. We're bringing them up toward adulthood, we're disciplining, but we're also teaching and correcting. And again, just as we need to turn to God for guidance as to how we discipline, we're also choosing to go to God and model him modeling for us how to teach and how to correct and how to instruct. Will our instruction toward them, will it be rooted in kindness such that it leads them to change their paths when they do fail? That's Romans 2 and verse number 4. See, he's saying the Jews, you have ignored God's kindness all these centuries. You presumed upon his kindness not knowing his kindness was meant for your repentance. When we establish an environment that sets that up for our children... They're going to fail. We would almost rather them fail in our homes so that we can correct them and help them learn the error of their ways and grow on to be adults who glorify God with technology. Let's illustrate this a little bit about how we might move forward. That's, that's the big picture. That's principles from Scripture. Now let's now talk a little bit more specifically about a technological response. Let's step out and illustrate it by this. Let's say you come home and you, you have your porch nice set up and you go out one evening and you're sitting there and your children are running around in the yard and you hear just a sound you maybe never really heard before but you know exactly what it is it's that rattling sound coming from underneath your porch you have a chill down your spine and you get down and you look and you send the kids inside and you find there's there's a rattlesnake under your porch then you look more closely and there's a, a nest of rattlesnakes underneath your porch now, I know some of us may say that the next step is just to burn the house down, and that's fine if that's what you want to do. But I'm guessing that from that point forward, you would not hesitate to call an expert. 
We've got to get these out of here. It's urgent. We're not going to stay any longer in this place with those dangers there. So we're going to call and we're going to pay an expert to get rid of the threat. You probably would also be willing to pay that expert for attention and, and cons consultation to help keep your home rattlesnake free. You probably would not go off and get a degree in studies of snakes, but you'd do a little more research, wouldn't you? You'd take it upon yourself to say, I need to know a little bit more about these snakes so that we can keep our house safe. But you would also teach and train your children in that environment to prepare them and show them what to look for, show them how to keep things clean to keep that threat from entering. Same concept, but just a different realm of illustration. What if you find out your child has a pretty debilitating disease at a young age? My dad is a type 1 a diabetic, and so we've always just kind of been a little aware for our own children just to see if there will be any side effects in their lives, and, and thankfully none has, has shown itself thus far. But let's just say there's a difficult diagnosis like that in our child's life. You'd pay some experts, wouldn't you? You'd pay some doctors, you'd pay people to work with our children because, hey, this threat is real. You wouldn't go off and become an endocrinologist, but you would begin to study more and more about pediatric diabetes, and you would learn what's best for them. And you would also teach them in the moment, you cannot do this, you cannot do that, because it could cost you your very life. What's your big picture? Your big picture is, I want you to be an adult. I want you to be 20 and 22 and 40 and be able to manage this disease. Likewise, what happens when we take that same perspective toward the threats, but also the opportunities that pre present themselves when it comes to technology? We can pay experts for their help. It should never be something where we say, oh, well, I, can't, I can't part with a few dollars a month or a few dollars a year to get help with technology in my children. If, if we truly believe their souls are at stake, is money really that big of a hurdle? We're also going to research and learn for ourselves and keep on learning. Not to become an expert about every kind of technology, but to become an expert about our children and the technological realms they are living within. Those worlds overlap. That becomes our focus and our expertise. For the sake of protecting them in the moment, to keep them from ruining their lives with one decision, but especially to point them toward a long-term future of faithfulness, knowing that they will always have access to these technologies and even more. We prepare them for those kind of lives in the Lord instead of just getting focused in this moment and getting scared. This is an infographic from 2018, so it's pre-COVID, pre-pandemic. And the headline says, majority of teens admit to excessive cell phone usage. I'm just guessing both of these columns would be higher now post-COVID. But the, the take of it is, is that most say, okay, I spend too much doing these things. But I think that orange column or the yellowish column is probably even more eye-opening because those are the times that they say they have tried to cut back. I want to cut back. I don't want to spend as much time doing these as I presently do. We see this as a, a cry for help. That they're on these, they're in this world, and that perhaps they're ill-equipped to learn how to cut back. They're ill-equipped because they're developing, and they're at the, the mercy of those algorithms. Remember Jesus would say, Luke chapter 11, talking about the goodness of the Father and how generous he is. What father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, will he give him a scorpion? 
Of course, no good parent would intentionally and knowingly give their children a snake instead of a fish or a scorpion instead of an egg. But what if we've been deceived? What if our children are asking for this? What if our children are crying out for help and we think we're giving them what they want or what they need, and yet we're giving them something that could potentially ruin their life? That's where it comes back to us being honest with ourselves and truly allowing the Lord to guide our decisions and our thinking and all these things. All right, so this now kind of begins to where the, the handout begins, just questions that might come up when it comes to parenting and teenagers and parenting and children with these. And so we'll go through these quickly. More full answers are on that handout. But it's going to come up. At what age do they deserve or what age do they get a phone or a device? And obviously there is kind of a hierarchy. You can kind of get away with maybe a, a bigger device like an iPad. You can control that a little easier than at some point that they get a phone. Well, what age is all that going to happen? So these answers are more or less for that phone that belongs just to them, solely to them. Um, this is where it comes back to deciding who decides, right? Just because everybody else their age has one doesn't mean necessarily they get to have one. Are you going to decide? Are you going to decide with your spouse? Are you going to decide with the Lord? Or are we letting someone else decide? More and more consensus comes out from government studies and psychological studies to say that the personal phone best age is at least 8th grade or 14 years old. That's not a popular answer. We run across people that have kindergartners that have a phone. They can't read, but they can send emojis, right? It's just kind of wild. But 8th grade to 14, here's the scary thing about that number. None of those sources that I've seen at least have our children's souls in mind. They don't take eternity into account when they talk about 8th grader or 14-year-old being equipped to handle a phone. Uh, Meg Meeker is one of the main parenting voices I keep up with, and she's pretty strong on saying high school. She's a pediatrician who also helps equip parents. Henry Cloud is a, a counselor, therapist, and he says, he kind of lays out, lays out a process. Have your child, like, research. Show what all good you can do with the phone. Show what boundaries they need to have. You do your own research and set them beside each other and see where they match. And then that allows them to see where they can grow. If you're not satisfied with their maturity, their answers, then you get to give them a growing uh, process to work through. All right, what, what, what about kind of device? Common question. I think the easiest answer is to say the same kind that you use so that you are familiar with it. If you give them something that's a lot older than yours, see there's going to be a gap between what you can do and what they can do. If you give them something that's cheaper than yours, then now they may be able to do some things that you're not aware of how to, to protect them from using. Generally speaking, Apple comes already pre-built. Okay, now I'm going to have, I know I'll have some guys out there later that will tell me, well, I can do this with a, an Android, and that's, that's fine. Great, do it. If that's what you use, if that's what you want to do, that's, that's fine. You can have more, quote, control with an Android. But generally speaking, more comes pre-loaded with an Apple. Meg Meeker, that voice I mentioned a moment ago, uh, she's been recommending lately a, a device called the Gab phone, G-A-B-B, -B, and it has unlimited calling, unlimited texting, so they can still talk with friends, they can still talk with you as their parent, but it has no internet access. So no apps, no social media, that allows them to, to get the community that's necessary, but without exposing them to the dangers of the internet. All right, moving forward, let's talk about kind of rules, policies, all those kind of things. I found the best overlap in my own life by thinking about how my dad trained me and raised me in some things. My dad was 25, 26-year veteran of the police force, police officer there in Jasper. And so from the earliest days I can remember, he trained me on how to handle a handgun, how to fire one, how to shoot one. 
We would go to the ranges. We would build ranges on our own family land. I just have always been taught how to handle a gun properly, how to shoot it. That came in handy in the youth ministry days when we would go play laser tag, and they didn't know that I, I knew what I was doing and could rack up pretty easily. But he, he put this in my hand and showed me how to use it, showed me to, to take care with it, to respect it. You know, I was pretty old, high school if not college age, when I figured out that he always kept the closet where his guns were locked. I didn't know where the key was. He knew that it was dangerous enough that I could, could go through the barriers or the boundaries he had put into place and with one decision ruin my life, ruin someone else's life. So he gave me the barriers of training, of teaching, modeling those things for me. But he also had a barrier in place such that if I ever got too curious, I couldn't ruin my life with it. So I think an approach that's similar to that is helpful to think about barriers or boundaries first, boundaries and then barriers. You know, we can stay in the white lines, the yellow lines, and if we cross one of those, for the most part, there's not a, a huge consequence on the road. But those barriers on the outside are there because you go over the edge, it's deadly, it's dangerous. One mistake across the edge is life-changing, it's life-ending. Well, likewise, we must have this healthy perspective as parents. We're going to give them boundaries by which they learn that self-control, by which they learn that growth. And then also have barriers in place such that when they maybe try to go through the boundaries, they don't ruin their lives with one decision, with one text message, with one access to the internet, but instead we're building a system that lets them choose and grow over time without ruining their lives forever. Let's talk about a few of these. These are just examples of boundaries. You've got to decide together as these. You've got to lead the way. But the time that you spend, the time that they spend on social media and screen time, the time of day that those are accessible. Those are things to discuss. The locations in the house, that's a big decision. Um, almost all the research shows there's nothing good comes from them having a phone in their bedroom overnight. An alarm clock is cheap. Buy them an alarm clock or go wake them up. Um, it's just not healthy. It's not healthy for adults, really, to have phones by our beds and in the bedroom. But honesty needs to be a key value in all this. Listen to them. Talk with them. And let them keeping their boundaries be what helps to give them more and more responsibility over time. Decide up front what the consequences are going to be. That way they're not caught off guard. They can, you can kind of just simply say, this is what we decided would happen, and this is what's happened, so now here's the consequence. And some even suggest a contract agreement. Some of the sources on that sheet have examples of those, especially Chad Lemon, who is um, a minister up in Columbia, Tennessee. He has a, an example contract you might can use. And so that may be a helpful thing so that you can unemotionally Agree to some of these things before emotions get into the equation. Barriers, that mainly revolves around how you set things up. When you first connect to the internet, when you first give them a device, leverage those native settings. The phone has them already, and you'll notice on the sheet that you can go find kind of whatever device you have, uh, starting points for how to set those up. Um, you can set it up where any purchase they make, any app they download has to come through you first. And let me tell you, that gets a little aggravating. Like, that's how we have it set up for our girls and their iPads. And sometimes we don't know where the request is coming from. We're sitting there looking at our phones and the request hadn't come through, but maybe it's going to my computer. Like, it's not the most fun thing to have to approve everything, but we're always aware of what they're accessing. We're always aware of the app that they're putting on that. There are some great external tools. I use, we use as a family, Covenant Eyes. Um, OpenDNS gets kind of heavier into the, the traffic and controlling behind the scenes. 
Um, Circle is made by Disney. You can pay for that. You can get it, use it for free in your home. You can pay for that, and it, it tracks and kind of blocks some things uh, even away from your home. Bark is big in schools, I know, for bullying and those kind of things. A Life 360 sometimes is helpful for folks in terms of tracking actual physical location of people through their phones. And then freedom is one that we mentioned earlier, but that can be helpful for limiting your time in certain um, apps or certain websites or whatever the case may be. So use those external tools. Don't be afraid to pay a little money to be able to get the result and the training that you want. All right, as we close, we need to be sure that we understand there is hope, all right? On the sheet, you may notice there are some things about what if I'm behind, what, you know, what if I wake up and, and here we are, we're having these sessions and I realize I've not done anything. Well, don't lose hope. The Lord gives us paths for coming back to him. And so you as a family, you as a group of parents can come back and repent over these things. You can help your child repent over these things. There's nothing that's too far gone. And so if you need to, to access that sheet for feeling, hey, I'm behind, then, then please look at that. And um, let's exercise the opportunities the Lord gives us for the betterment of our children. One of the things I love the most about this, thinking about the hope that we have, is that, that first line, nothing will be impossible with God. That's said by an angel. And it's said to a mother who's expecting. It's said to a mom. And it feels like at times we're living in a generation where we think there are some things that are impossible. And yet, we would do well to learn from this angel's words and especially Mary's response. Nothing will be impossible with God. See, she kind of had a, a little bit of a pushback. How can this be? But he says, nothing will be impossible with God. But then especially notice Mary's response. Here she is, this young, unwed mother-to-be. And she says, I am the servant of the Lord. That's extremely healthy thinking, identity thinking. I am. I am the servant of the Lord. Whether we find ourselves behind in these matters, whether we find ourselves grappling for, for progress, if we find ourselves overwhelmed, come back to these kind of identity statements. I am servant of the Lord. We can keep asking, what then is it that a servant of the Lord would do? Not what would a parent in this part of the country do, but what would a servant of the Lord do? Let him determine our identity, which then determines our decisions. Then, she says this, let it be to me according to your word. Because she recognizes she was the Lord's servant, she could then say, let it be to me according to what you have to say. And so parents, yes, we have difficult decisions. The church has difficult conversations and, and moments to walk through parents with. But we all, all have the possibility of bringing glory to God in these matters. We all have hope because of Jesus himself and because he has made these things known to us. If you are here this morning or this evening now, this afternoon, and you need to know that you need to obey Christ, you know that you need to put him on in baptism. You know that you need to come back to him maybe as one who has been immersed but has left his side, who has not been living faithfully. This time for an invitation is for you. And please know that we are here for you and this church is here for you. We'd love to assist you with anything that we can. Would you come? Now that we sing.